presents Ancient Kistery, the Bachelor podcast that asks ye old question, how many times are we going to say yikes this episode? Yikes. <laughs> Start the count. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. I think, you've, I think you've done it wrong. Let's talk about sex, Xavi. Oh, that's very good. Thank you very much for pointing that out. My good friend, co-host, maybe even main host of the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. Hard to say. Hard to say. We've been fighting. We've been tussling over it for years. Uh, it's my good friend, uh, radio broadcaster, musician extraordinaire, the one who usually does the editing of the podcast, <laughs> multi-hyphenate. It's Max Quinn. Hi. Hello. Uh, polymath is one that you could include mm. um, because I'm good at several different types. Polyjuice, potion. Addition, subtraction. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of gross stuff happening here <laughs> oh, on the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. We are, of course, recapping the first season of The Bachelor, taking a trip back in time mm. to see where it all started and how it all went wrong. few things go wrong on this episode. Let's just say that. I feel like it is crazy to me that we have never done a fuck week episode properly before. You and I have, yes, never, ever talked at length on this podcast about the consensual engagement in sexual practice by two adults on The Bachelor. As endorsed by the format and structure of the show, which is an entrenched part of the US version of the show. It is not really present at all in the Australian version. We've talked about this before that like it was raised as a possibility in the first season of Australian Bachelor. The first Australian Bachelor decided, eh, 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 eh." and then they just never did it again. We weren't ready for it and we still aren't. (laughs) Maybe that's it. But it is interesting to think about like America, I feel like at least, is a fairly sexually, I don't want to say repressed necessarily because America uh, covers all sorts of (laughs) things, but it is not a particularly like... uh, liberated sure well i think what you're trying to say is that fluid expressions of sexuality don't exactly sit hand in hand with the conservative heartland that is this show's audience yeah yeah um so it is interesting to see not just the uh the product of it that exists now which is as as an institution of the bachelor and bachelorette that has existed for many years but the way that that began and it seems so wild to me that that several conversations had to happen including some that we see on the screen of like this is going to be a thing because i'm saying so essentially mm, you mm. know the the producers the the people who crafted sort of the the building blocks of the uh the format um were kind of just throwing their hat in the ring and saying like w- this will be as much a part of the show as the rose ceremony which is weird in its own ways, but certainly not quite as, uh, you know, 
tantalizing. <laughs> What's the sure. word? Sure. Uh, scandalous. Well, it's very horny. Yes. Uh, and things get quite horny on this episode. I nearly said of the podcast. I, I can't guarantee that. Uh, but certainly of The Bachelor. But before we get there, I feel like... So I want to uh, reveal pull back the kimono a little bit to our audience and let them know we are taping this episode in advance because of the upcoming season of Brooks season of the season, <laughs> the season, which it <laughs> is, is the season's Eddie. Yeah. Uh, because that's coming up. We had to bank a few of these. So we don't have access to the news that we normally would. So what I wanted to do instead of that was a bit of a speculative batch world catch up. Wow. What does that mean? So top story this week Here's the part of our news segment that I'm leaving in so that if a piece of news comes up in the week between us recording it and putting it out, and it's so big we have to cover it, I can just put that in later. So, Max, um, knowing that normally I'm the one leading the charge on this and you're the one who's going, wow, or whatever, would Mm. you mind just doing a few sort of general reactions that I can just drop in depending on what kind of story it is? Xavier, I did not see this coming. (laughs) I was surprised when I first heard this news, and let me tell you, it's taken a couple of days to sink in, <laughs> and this is how I'm processing it, okay? Use the timeline. I think that's great. If we're looking at it from the perspective from which it was delivered, then I can see how it might be in the right circumstance a measured and appropriate response to what has arisen. (laughs) But on the other hand, (laughs) Jesus Christ, this was shocking. Yeah, this is great. We've got, I think that that'll cover us some more things. Maybe just give us one if it's really good news. (laughs) Whoop-de-doo. That's great. great. Wow. (laughs) All right, that should cover us. Thank you for that. (laughs) Pretty good. Moving on. Glad we covered that. Uh, also, by the time this episode is released, a week from now, magician-musician Jake Spence, a.k.a. Apollo Jackson, from season three of The Bachelorette AU. Sorry, and season Jake one, Spence? That's his real name. Do you know that? Wow. And season one of Bachelor of Paradise AU will have released his new dance pop single, Collide, for streaming on all platforms. So, without having heard it, what do you reckon, Max? <laughs> Could you just use some of the reactions that I already recorded <laughs> for sure. in this place, please? Absolutely. That would be excellent. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. I was surprised when I first heard this news, and let me tell you, it's taken a couple of days to sink in, and whoop-de-doo! Okay, and for the last part of our news roundup this week, I'm throwing it over to you, my friend Max Quinn. Hey, what's going on? What's new with you? (laughs) Wow, look, uh, here we are, and I tell you, I have seen uh, a lot of of news. Let's start here. Um, For China's... Xi Jinping Excuse me? attacking Taiwan Say that again? is about for China's Xi Jinping. What? That, dude, what? For China's Xi Maxwell, Jinping. Maxwell, we're saving for- that until we're talking about fuck week. Ah, uh, <sighs> that's the best that bit's gonna go, right? I didn't think of an increasingly uh, complicated way to get into the dive in thing. Mm. <laughs> There's another news item here called "My Mom Joined a Dangerous Cult, and Now We Can't Get Her Back." And Xavier, I Wait, tell your you, mum. Well, this Emma, according to this story, not her real name, mm. shares her family's experiences. And yeah, it looks like um, Emma's mum has joined a crystal Reiki cult. So Where are you that's this? quite in you. Yeah. Uh, ABC News. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, I'm just covering off the news as you would. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It feels yeah. uh, it feels super relevant in the way that mine usually are. Sort of well, tailored, it's just something to like, our topics and audience and what they might care about. And... My mum joined a dangerous cult. Now we can't get her back. It's mm. it's just the sort of thing where it really seems like the mum might have um, gone, gone for it head first, you know? Um, I'm struggling with another way to phrase that. Do you, could you think of anything she that might... Sort of- like gone into the deep end in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it in does it, seem like that's something that's happened. Yeah, like in essence you might say that she has dived deep into whatever that cult was. Another cult popular <laughs> amongst, uh, you know, uh, people in the world today is, of course, The Bachelor. Beginning with season one, episode five, Overnight Dates. <laughs> oh my God. I want vocal effect on that, okay? All right. <laughs> you can choose whichever right. one you want, but it's got to be All a vocal right, I can effect. I do that. Uh, this episode aired on April 22nd, 2002, in a day that will live in infamy forever. <laughs> we begin this episode with some very artsy shots of Alex Michelle. First, we just see his reflection in the villa's pool, and then we see him standing on a rock in the distance overlooking the skyline. Then from another angle, gazing out at the horizon while voiceover plays. These are, without question, and I think I erroneously referred to something else as the first Ponder shots, but I believe this is like truly the same style of shots that we see at the beginning of like almost every single date, as well as obviously increasing in number throughout the latter half of the season. As we're we're thinking harder about our decisions, this is and proper choices, ponder. You know? This is the kind of ponder that you would dive right into. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Alex talks about how the next invitation dinner. What is that? Is going to be? Yeah, I think this is the third, fourth time we've changed the name of this thing. Uh, the next invitation dinner is going to be brutal because I have I have three incredible women and I can't really predict which two will continue at this point. Is it maybe, I'm just realizing, maybe because it is now no longer, uh, there's no cocktail party element, like we are just showing up for the actual ceremony. Maybe that's why they've mm. changed it again. Who could say? Anyway, cut to New York. The Big Apple, yellow taxis, hot dog carts, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank. Here. And your guy who's walking here. Um and now Alex and Amanda. I think um, it is a wise choice that they have made to lead with Amanda on this episode, who has appeared to be pretty comfortable around discussing sex and physical intimacy. Um, that's been a through line throughout the season. I I wonder actually if it, it if anybody else has as well, and they have just used this as Amanda's edit or whatever. It's a little bit hard to tell. It seems like most conversations seem to be framed around this, particularly as this episode proceeds. Uh, but yeah, there's 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 some heavy sexual lifting right. in this episode that Amanda will be will be tasked with up the top. I don't necessarily want to be personally responsible for boiling her down to that one element in the way that I feel like the show has. Um, I'll do it. Okay, Max, thank you very much. <laughs> really taking a bullet for me. Uh, Amanda ITMs, knowing that the exotic dates are overnight, and it feels like she has put E and D in capital letters there, 
um, and that it's a considerable amount of time alone with Alex, I'm excited. I think I'll get to know him better, and it's a perfect opportunity to see how physical it could get, to see how comfortable he is with me, and how everything feels between each other. They hop on board a double-decker bus for some sightseeing, and they gawk at all the attractions that New York City has to offer. And Alex ITMs, I'm aware of the fact that I'm running out of time and I just have a few things I need to get to the bottom of. And then Alex Michelle, the first bachelor in history, fully unprovoked, says, so here's a tough question for you. I want to know about your boobs. Yeah, what the fuck is with this? Mm. This is a, this is yikes one. This is yikes number one, for sure. Amanda sort of laughs and she says, I knew you were going to ask that someday, you know, in a way which is kind of like the laugh is covering up the, like, this is an inevitability of dealing with heterosexual men in some way, isn't it? Isn't this so fucked that this is the second time that a woman on this show within two dates, the last one being Shumpus Mm -hmm. and this one now being Amanda, has said to him, I knew that this weird sex question would come up soon. Yeah, totally. Ugh. I don't love that. I don't love that he's like his reputation precedes him. Mm. I mean, I love that they have some advanced warning, I guess, if he's going to be like this. But Suppose, but. She says, I knew you were going to ask that someday. Alex says, today is that day. The reason that I'm asking you is that you're so cool about answering all these questions. See, you're cool about these things. Now tell me. Um, Amanda says, yeah, I don't care. What do you want to know about them? And Alex says, tell, tell me, the, me the whole story. story. Start at the beginning. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Amanda says, when I was a child, I was obsessed with Dolly Parton. I thought she was the coolest thing. I had a whole, all of her records. I wanted to be her. And actually, I had like a half cup difference. And so you couldn't tell unless I was naked, but it bothered me. So I had a breast org. I went from a C to a D. So they're partial real, partial not. And I'm like, great, whatever. The fact that she had to explain this to a viewing public is pretty distressing. But, um, you know, at least the show is not like actively judging her for it, I guess. Yeah. It is just objectifying her for it. Um, And then as if anybody asks, Alex in ITM says, normally I'm against it. I just want things to be natural all the time. But the answer that she gave could not possibly have been better. Good Lord. This sucks. Put your penis away, sir. (laughs) Then they go ice skating in Central Park and they kiss on the ice and they get in the back of one of those like horse-drawn cart things, a rickshaw maybe, and Amanda says, why don't you tell me an outfit? Because she's like, if this is the only thing you want to talk about and it's keeping me on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex says, I would like like to see see a Playboy Playboy Bunny bunny outfit. And Amanda agrees. She says she wanted to be a Playboy bunny for Halloween in fifth grade. I don't mean to be a prude. I feel like an op- an open dis- discussion of sexuality would be more welcome uh, within the text that we are given, particularly in the Australian Bachelor. I think year after year, Definitely. like they don't and want to engage with it on and any all level. Of those things, yeah, right. But this is a little rich for my taste. <laughs> I would call this an eep and not a yikes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that checks out to me. Um, anyway, then, during a conversation about arseless chaps or something, 
Alex does something unexpected, which makes me like him about 200 times more. I feel like you probably may have may have caught this as well. He quotes a deep cut They Might Be Giants song from their 1990 yeah. album Flood. And he sings, minimum wage. Yeah. And I'm like, where has this part of you been hiding? Is it the wildest thing you've ever heard? This this struck me as like the back-to-back like bro culture toxic masculinity sort of thing. And then the like deep cut album track from like a nerd rock, like weird, you know, off the wall alternative band. Yeah. I'm right, like, right, I guess right. There is an overlap there. there. There's no reason why there shouldn't be, but it surprised me. They arrive at Tavern on the Green, a restaurant in the heart of Central Park. And over dinner, Amanda tells Alex the story of how her father died when she was 11. She says, My dad had actually went to sleep and he had a heart attack. It was really sad. He was 47. So it was rather traumatic experience being there and seeing it all happen, but I was the strong one. I felt like I had to help my mom, so I was a big girl. And something about the way that she tells this is interesting to me because I think, you know, this is an extremely off-the-cuff example of a tragedy reveal twist. Right. So you like this man and you feel in the field. You got a shocking secret you keep in concealed. You're gonna drop that bomb, yeah, and seal the deal. You do the tragedy reveal twist. Yeah, you do the tragedy reveal twist. Yeah. And it felt really strange to me that she was not in the way that we would normally see playing this up to create like maximum melodrama. Or that the producers were not like, you know, playing, you know, heartfelt strings underneath it and going in for like extreme close ups and that kind of thing. Like it's right, it's right. handled in quite a different way. Um, and it's kind of just like part of what makes her her. To, you know, I I don't necessarily know what that what that says. Well, it says that they're not trying to dilute Chanute. <laughs> it's really true. It's very good. Uh, she also reveals to him that her previous relationship ended in an annulment rather than a divorce. And this. Alex, oh my god, <laughs> Alex grins and he says, "So you're so not you're actually, actually a divorcee? Annulled? Interesting." And in ITM, he says, "I thought that it was nice that she's not a divorcee. As far as I'm concerned, she's never been married." So we're getting just a little bit more like women are property. Like, just for good measure at this point. Women are property is exactly the right call here because literally a degree of nullity, which is what you need to get an annulment, is granted in the family court, at least right. in Australia. Mm. You know? And what it essentially states is that there never has been a, a legally binding marriage in the first place. There was a big drama at my primary school because one of the teachers got a divorce and that meant that he couldn't keep teaching at the Catholic school because he was oh, a divorcee. Right. And this is around yeah. the same time, actually, 2002. Mm. Um, and so he had to get an annulment in order for the church to recognize Do you remember that- the, the, t- the teacher's partner's name? Was it Amanda? No, I don't. Because <laughs> they can't have been two. Right. <laughs> uh, and then Alex ITMs that Chris the host, which I think is really funny. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me so well. It's, I guess basically it's just like Chris is such a big part of the show over the next 20 years. But at this point, they're like, you remember the little guy's wearing like a gray suit? he's kind of got the... Uh, Chris, the host, has given him an envelope uh, before he left. And, and so he offers it to Amanda, claiming to not know what's inside it. 
And I saw so. right through this. I, I do not believe you for a second. Amanda asks Alex to read the note within, and it is the exact same wording used in fantasy sweet cards to this very day. Alex and Amanda, hope you're enjoying your stay in New York City. If you decide to forego your individual rooms, you can use this key to stay as a couple in our fantasy suite. And in Alex's words, they practically ran out of the restaurant. Ask the driver to floor it. And then we enjoy a supercut of hands pressed against flesh, exploring each other's bodies. Max is looking at me very uncomfortably. So the thing that made me uncomfortable was the physical camera work of mm. this and the lens that they applied to it. Like oh, yeah. there was a fisheye at one point. Oh, yeah. And then we were in like black and white night vision. Right. And there was like the superimposed edges of a square with the edges of a, a circle to symbolize. Yeah, the little frames in like, the corner. Yeah, as if it's to like, symbolize like we're secretly recording them. Oh, it is truly, I think, I, I, I wonder what year uh, A Night in Paris came out. Because I feel, or like, you know, the first, oh, like, whatever yeah, the, the first, like, big celebrity sex tape was. Because I feel like this is truly trying to evoke the specific, intimate, sort of, handicam texture of a homemade porno. I was looking, uh, absolutely, I was looking at uh, Rob Mills on the internet the other day. <laughs> I'm waiting to see how this connects. Well, so Rob Mills dated Paris Hilton. Sure, yes. In the true. year 2003. And I know oh. that. Uh, the Paris Hilton tape came out in 2003 because Rob Mills was present with Paris when that scandal broke. Oh, right. So I wonder if they took their stylistic. Well, That's I, it. I don't Maybe really remember what yep. the what the you know film grain on that was or whatever. But like, I wonder if they they probably watched The Bachelor. And you thought, know, this is the choice. Yeah. And so Rob Mills tells this story of being like. What are you doing, Paris Hilton? And Paris Hilton being like, I'm downloading my sex tape. Probably took ages too. Yeah. So this thing, this thing proceeds in a very interesting way because they start like kissing in the hotel lobby near the lifts. They enter this pretty plain hotel room and they drink what looks to be some room temperature champagne and they close the door behind them. And then, yeah, as you're saying, this this filter pops on with the the black and white grainy camera footage. We see Amanda leave the room as Alex calls room service. And in ITM, Alex tells us he has ordered the sex in the sheets dessert. And Amanda, yeah, yeah. ITM's room service shows up and there is a plastic sheet, chocolate syrup, caramel, and ice cream. And then we see a Polaroid photo of Amanda wearing a negligee with like chocolate smeared on her face. Max, how comfortable was this viewing experience for you? Deeply is there a word that pops into your mind? Perturbed is the word that pops into my mind. Interesting. Mine was going to be yikes. Um, <laughs> great. Just the like, was it their idea to take a photo and to then hold the know. photo up to the lens? Did somebody ask them to do that? Because at least these days, the idea of a fantasy suite is that like the cameras are off. It, it, it Whatever is happening takes place behind closed doors and we're not right. privy to it. Whereas yes. here it's like, you will see something, you know, it's like. <laughs> Don't switch channels because you never know what might pop out. Yes, yeah, you know? exactly. pop out. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, look, I mean, you know, this is why people watch the show, right? This is probably why it was a big hit. 
Because it's very, like, fucking scandalous and exciting. For, yeah, for 2002, this is insane. Yeah. We aren't, we've not even seen a Janet Jackson boob on TV yet. True. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, whatever, right? Like, you know, if they're having fun, I just feel like it's it's none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, up next is Shannon. And they're in Lake Tahoe, the largest alpine lake in North America, a major tourist attraction for both Nevada and California for its snowfall and desirability for winter sports. Tahoe also features in the 1974 film The Godfather Part Two. The lakeside estate Fleur de Lac is used as the location of several scenes, including the elaborate First Communion celebration, Carmela's funeral, the assassination attempt on Michael. Max, you remember all these scenes? Of course, yes. Uh, and several other spoilers for a movie from 47 years ago. What movie was it? It's called The Godfather Part 2. Oh, I'm not sure I've heard of it. You haven't heard of that one? Mm-mm. Are you aware of The Godfather Part 3? Yes. This is the prequel. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I always thought they should make a first one. Yeah. I don't know. That, I, I don't want to get too into... Um, the like the Star Wars of it all, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, today, though, it is the location for a skiing day trip and a place for us to see Alex in some unbelievable winter fashions. Uh, I will be posting screenshots of this because he is wearing some pretty unadvisable stuff. The sunglasses in particular, I feel like, uh, are something else. Like what he is. Got- is- so, yeah. He has seen The Matrix and been like, oh, I'm that guy. <laughs> you know, I can pull that off. I'll take the red pill. Seems yeah. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, that'll go really well with this uh, like sort of daggy woolen jumper. Oh, my God. Not great. Who um, taught this man? Yeah. I, um, so many questions. I, I'm curious about, like, has Danny been watching these with you? Yes. Because Danny, obviously, your partner is, is a very fashion educated and knowledgeable person in the world of, you know, beauty and... Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. Has has she had any has she had any choice? The most choice phrase that has come out of her mouth has been this is nonsense. <laughs> That's very true. It's very astute. She really boiled it down. Checking in at the bottom of the slopes, Alex tells Shannon he wants them to push the limits of their relationship a little bit and not pretend that they're on their third date. Um, wouldn't have to pretend you are on your third date. Not sure what he means. Shannon responds by saying, this is me, but some of the questions that you ask, I'm not going to answer. Some of the things you want to do are just not going to happen. He leans in for a kiss and she pulls away saying, Alex, 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 this is a yikes for me. It was really odd that he would just continue to push. Yeah. This is pretty uncomfortable stuff. It's uncomfortable because she has so clearly drawn her boundaries in the previous episode and he's right. sort of like, could I cross it this much? I think a lot of the time men get taught that like, if you just are persistent, you will get what you want. And yeah, that is totally. very, this very is, dangerous yeah. within this kind of context, you know? This is that era and that zeitgeist though. Do you know what I mean? This is this is years of teen movies teaching mm. men that this is the way to to behave, yeah. you know? You can eventually break down a woman's for, boundaries yeah. or whatever. Like. Yeah, 100%, you know, and I feel like it was not until much later than 2002 that cultural commentary hmm. shifted away from that kind of narrative, Yeah, you know, or at least became more of the dominant social narrative. 
Right. It's not like we have cured this problem or anything, but you know, Fuck no. there, there's a there's a, a a difference between 2002 and now for sure. Then they pull up at a table made of ice and snow. In other words, a pile of snow with a tablecloth <laughs> on it. And they're eating something, I guess. Alex sort of tries to dig up. He says, when I was saying I want us to feel accelerated rather than on our third date, I felt like you thought I meant physically, which is not what I mean. Pretend that we're seriously dating. We're thinking about getting engaged. There are no other people. And if it doesn't work out, you'll be shocked and hurt. And I feel like this is this is almost like he is being the producer. Definitely. Like he, you know, a, a producer would do this in this day and age where he is telling her to be more reactive, I guess, and to, you know, to... He's to, coaching her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and coaching her in, in specifically like how she should be performing for the cameras, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? Shannon asks, so is it okay if I call you my boyfriend? And Alex says, I would love it if you did. They arrive at a cabin and then Alex invites Shannon into the hot tub and she says, if you insist, in ITM, she says, I'm not excited about getting in a swimsuit, but I'll make an exception this time. But that ITM was clearly shot a bit earlier because then we cut back to the present, or obviously 2002, um, but she is clearly extremely reluctant to remove her robe in front of the cameras and then the camera, like the angle cuts to a- another shot from a huge distance. Like she has asked the cameras to fully leave. Mm. Um, and then she she finally gets into the tub, but it's, you know, it's standard definition and she's a far, long way away. You can't really see anything. Um, and we hear Alex in ITM say, it was a ridiculous concern. As it turns out, her body is flawless, but not in her mind, apparently. I don't know, man. Like this, yeah. There's there's so much about this that sucks. Yeah, um, I think the thing that sucks the most about this is, is I am sure he felt like he was being very kind and totally her a compliment. Yes, um, yes. Like he was like, no, 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 no. The problem is not a problem because objectively, great bod, hun. Because I have deemed you to be hot enough. You know, yeah. And the message that that sends to anybody who's watching who doesn't look like her, and you know, all all that kind of stuff. It's uh. It's a yikes for me, essentially. Later that evening, they sit by a fireplace and Alex plays with Shannon's hair. She says, you're going to make me fall asleep. Uh, And then he just starts kissing her, like her cheeks and her shoulder. The tension is palpable. Um, She laughs and says, what is wrong with you? You look so upset. He says, I'm not upset in the slightest. Shannon says, I just think that kissing can be so intimate. And so to do that in public and to do it all the time, you know, it just kind of cheapens it. Mm. And Alex picks this as the ideal moment to reveal the envelope given to him by Chris Harrison. She looks at him utterly perturbed and says, should I open it? Why am I scared? And she almost chuckles as she reveals the sacred incantation within. (laughs) Uh, Hang on a sec. I've written it down. Did you you didn't happen to write this down, did you? No, I don't have it written okay, down. Okay, hang on. Sorry, I've got it somewhere. So she utters the sacred incantation within. I had feelings for Eleanor that I've actually never felt for anyone in my life. She gave me butterflies every morning <laughs> when I saw her. <laughs> Uh, no, he, uh, it says, Alex and Shannon, hope you're enjoying your stay in Tahoe. If you decide to forego your individual rooms, you can use this key to stay as a couple in our deluxe chalet. And, uh, Alex says, what are your thoughts? And she says, what are your thoughts? 
<laughs> he tells her they should check it out and hopes that she won't be put off by terms like stay as a couple. And he does air quotes. Shannon wisely says, I was just thinking in my head how funny it would have been if you broke out the Alex and Amanda card or the Alex and Trista card, because I'm sure you get one of those for all of your dates. That's what I was thinking, to be honest. And Alex is like, uh, what do you say we check it out? And Shannon says, I'll go look. And then she ITMs that the fantasy suite card, quote, ruined dinner and ruined almost the whole day. Ugh. Alex says, now you seem a little mad at me, are you? And Shannon says, I'm not mad, while she sort of paces across the room. I feel like you never see this level of tension and discomfort in The Bachelor, like, at all. Unless maybe it's between contestants. Yeah, yeah. Usually this is, yeah, contestants arguing with each other, but... You know, uh, the the drama has to be between the the bachelor telling a woman that he doesn't love her. Yeah, you know what I mean, or or something to that magnitude. Not just a couple having a fight, right? Because I think at a certain point, and probably before too long, bachelors or bachelorettes figure out that their job is to take to look for any opportunity to send people home, because that is just it comes with the territory, and anyone who doesn't commit one of the cardinal sins or whatever will get through to the end. But mm. you are every week like keeping your ears peeled for anything to go wrong. And at the slightest sight of something like, you know, the potential of something like this may be happening at some point, you want to send them home before it ever gets to that point. Right, right, exactly. So Alex and Shannon enter their fantasy suite and Alex asks the camera crew to leave saying, we're probably not going to be talking until you leave. And so they all march out and we see some shots from outside, just like filming the windows, but we can't hear their audio because at this point they're not individually mic'd. They just have like overhead boom mics. Booms, yeah. Um, so Alex ITMs that he's very concerned and we're left in suspense. So my question to you, I guess, is, is Shannon suited to this show? That's a good question. Yeah, maybe it is just like the fact that she is able to uh, call out things that she doesn't like about this experience or, you know, maintain her credibility and her, you know, personality in the face of this thing or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, But yeah, it is a good question. I don't know if she is. It's hard to imagine her lasting or making an impact within the modern era of this show. Goodness, no. I think she does ver- a lot of heavy lifting in terms of like making this season interesting and uh, almost feels like in some way she feels more modern than this show, even though she wouldn't exist within the modern version of this show, if you know what I mean. I hear you. Like she has like a postmodern view of it in a way that other people feel like they're kind of just uh, consumed by the the experience or the edit or whatever. Right. It's almost like Shannon's watching it all play out and she has an idea of how she's being portrayed and how this is coming across. And she wants to fight for whatever her version of herself is within the show. And she won't be subject to these, in at this time, arbitrary rules that have been created by a television show and have been placed onto her by some man that she's just met. Right. And I think that what that means is that Arguably, no, she's not well suited to be on this show. But The Bachelor, I would say, has had a long-standing history of 
mining great drama out of casting people who probably shouldn't be on The Bachelor. Right. It, that's a great point. Exactly. And in fact, like that is almost the primary MO of the casting department is mm. like casting a lot of people who feel like they should be on the show and then casting a couple of people who really feel like they shouldn't be on the show. And right. that's how you get the show, you know? But yeah, on some level, on some level, and I don't like that I just thought this, uh, Shannon is kind of the Deadpool of The Bachelor. Because she You're knows. Have to explain that to me. Well, Deadpool, <laughs> Deadpool knows he's in a movie. That's like his whole mm-hmm. thing is winking to the camera and being like, oh, buddy, this isn't like your regular superhero shit or whatever. And I feel like maybe is that's he Shannon's like vibe. Ryan Reynolds or something? He certainly is. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Great. Ryan Reynolds doing the thing that he has done in every movie for the last like five years since Deadpool came out. Let's head into the next overnight date. Let's dive perhaps into the next overnight date with Trista. Uh, and uh, speaking of diving, they meet up in Hawaii of all places. It's pretty sweet, to be honest. This is a great deal. Yeah, like they did not spare any expense. I mean, I guess they go. They this show goes on to have like several international travel destinations per season, which mm-hmm. is batshit. But bonkers. But yeah, I mean, I would not be upset if I was Trista. No way. This is great. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, Trista waits for Alex on some rocks by the beach and he walks up to her with two lays to represent the two women that he has at least attempted to lay <laughs> in the last couple of days. I'm sorry, I had to. Uh, they take a helicopter tour of the island and gawk at the scenery. There is a volcano, a humpback whale, lush, beautiful tropical jungle, and it all looks like shit in standard definition. <laughs> Uh, but then Alex admits that he is feeling unwell and we watch him puke into an air sickness bag directly in front of the camera. Twice! They land Alex ITM's feeling confident about the, quote, bonding experience that they've just shared. Uh, that is to say, his puke. Uh, and Trista ITM saying the romance was kind of spoiled a little bit. Um, she gives him the very helpful advice to drink some Sprite to help him recover. Not a sponsor, just 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 drink a some fan. sprite. Yeah. Later, they're relaxing by the beach. Trista ITMs that they are connecting intimately, although not in a sexual nature, and that it's very romantic. The boom mic is visible in the shot here. <laughs> <laughs> it is not great podcast content to point out the points where you can see the mic, but it deserves to be said. I feel good for noticing it. Uh, Alex asks Trista how she feels about him, and she says. I'm in like, but I'm not in love. I'm in like. And I think I could argue that this is a prehistoric form of the little semantic game that is at the heart of the Bachelor franchise. This escalation oh, that we I talk do about. Love you. Yeah, from like, I could see myself falling in love with you to like, I'm beginning to fall in love with you. I am falling in love with you. I love you, you know, that kind of thing. I like that. You know, obviously, this is a prehistoric form of that, but the fact that, you know, and and this doesn't feel like gameplay speech in the way that that does. No. But it evolves into its own sort of coded language. Mm, mm. Alex gets up and walks away, telling Trista, I got to go check one schedule-related thing, and I can't tell you what it is. And then leaving Trista just sitting there, we hear him say in ITM, I suddenly realize that I'm dying. (laughs) It's <laughs> like just gazing out onto the horizon being like god what are we doing here and he says i then go back to my room and basically it was like a ton of bricks hit me i threw up five times i get in bed i have chills and fever i'm crawling around in pain later trista dressed for a fancy dinner 
joins Alex in his room. And while he's laid in bed in a robe, she softly strokes his arm. And even under these circumstances, he continues bacheloring, which I think is interesting. Like there is no sick leave that is built into this workplace agreement. Mm. And he speculates that maybe the reason that Trista has a bit of difficulty opening up is that she's an only child. And Trista says, well, you know, once people earn my trust, I'm actually an open book. And open up she does because she volunteers to Alex that it's no big deal, but I've never had an orgasm during real intercourse. This, of course, is an all too common situation affecting women who have sex with men. Alex views this as a challenge, though, saying, well, if you think it's a problem, I will try to solve it. Thank you, Alex. Yuck, sir. Mm. He asks her. (laughs) Yikes, indeed. He asks her if she ever fakes it. And she says, so the weather's really nice. (laughs) I feel like Trista is really popping as an on-screen presence for me this week. This is the first episode where I've really felt like, oh, Trista, and I can sort of feel the chemistry. And yes, look, it does take him having, what were the symptoms that he described? Puking five times. I think six. Let me check. Threw up five times, chills, fever, crawling around in pain, which could be like an exorcist thing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he, he's worried that he's contagious as well. Okay. So Are you looking him up looking on at- WebMD? Yeah, yeah, it seems like he might have the novel coronavirus. Oh, no! Oh, patient zero! I think we found him. Fuck, that could be really bad. Imagine if that got out. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, listeners, you know what to do. Yeah, eradicate Alex Michelle. <laughs> or get vaccinated, I guess. Either works. <laughs> Maybe both. You know what, though? We haven't talked about this at all. Maybe we'll save it till, like, finale episode. Like, what Alex Michelle is up to now. Oh, yeah, I'd love to know. He, I mean, this isn't a spoiler, but he is so off the grid. He is, oh, great. He is not participating in any, like, Bachelor stuff at all. He, like, has a job. But we'll, we'll talk more about that, I think, later on. Fantastic. Yeah. The next morning, Alex is feeling better, and they have some more time together in Hawaii. Alex takes Trista to a couple's massage in a hut by the beach, telling her, I feel very calm today. I've got no more worries. And Trista replies, good, you've puked them all out. (laughs) And we watch them. This is great from Trista. This is what I mean when I say she's popping. Yeah, Trista's funny. I feel like um, maybe just getting out of the, the mansion and being around all the other women probably helps. We watch them make out while they stand in shin high water. Um, and then everything's shin high for some reason this season. And then later we watch the make out as they watch the sunset. We cut to commercial as if there is any suspense at all as to who might be going home this evening. Alex and Chris Harrison reconvene in the deliberation room. And believe it or not, the portraits of the remaining women are still there and they're still arranged on a very uneven surface. Uh, even though there's there's three of them, and they're also in quite different frames. I feel like at this point you could streamline. Trista is on the left in a gaudy silver frame, then maybe a foot above that in a plain white frame is Amanda, and then maybe like a foot and a half below that on the far right is Amanda in a frame with a brown border. And yet again, we have private video messages from the three remaining women. Of course, only two of them can stay. Here is what they say. Amanda. Hi, Alex. I'd like to thank you for an amazing date in New York City. 
from the tour bus to making out in Central Park skating, I had a great time. I hope I got to clear up some answers to some questions you had about my boobs. Mm. And next time, dessert is on you. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's great. That's a great line. Yeah, that's killer. Shannon says, hey, Alex, you know that I've had a great time on all of our dates. You know that I like you. You know that I've enjoyed getting to know you better and that I want to get to know you even better. And that no, and you know that no matter what, you've always got a friend in me. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Randy Newman. <laughs> yeah, true. Trista says, aloha and mahalo, Alex. Trista says, aloha and mahalo, Alex. We're about ready to leave Hawaii, and I just want to thank you for an absolutely wonderful time. And I hope that you'll be able to think of this trip as overall a great trip as I do. And I'm hoping to create more memories with you along the way. Hopefully not quite as seeped in puke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm hoping you keep me around. Yeah, that's what she said. Yeah, that's what she said. Uh... After a little more umming and ahhing and still looking at the fucking portraits, Chris Harrison briefs the women. I just got through talking to Alex. I know tonight is going to be incredibly difficult for him. I imagine it's going to be equally difficult for each of you. But ultimately, the story only has a happy ending for one of you. And the other other two will live in torture and torment for all time. (laughs) I want to remind you, as always, you are totally empowered here, no matter how you might feel. Uh... And if you don't feel Alex is someone you want to marry, you can and should decline the rose. Alex tells them, I have struggled a lot with this decision. You're all incredible people and very special people in my life. And then, yeah, he hands the roses to Trista and Amanda. I was shocked. Were you really? I Based on what we saw. I mean, because you uh, a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about uh, how Shannon was your winner pick. Based on what I had seen in the edit leading up to this mm-hmm. and the projections that I would cast over how A Bachelor season is edited now, mm. Shannon seemed like the winner to me. Mm. And what I had thought was that this was going to be an overcoming obstacles, I right. love you. Right. So right. W- with that in mind. Okay. Well, then in that case, because I, I want to take back what I said earlier about like there being no suspense. Because to me, I mean, I've watched this season before, so I can't make assumptions about whether or not there's suspense. But to me, it just felt like um, like Shannon was, that was it, you know? The writing was definitely on the wall. Yeah. I Based on what I am bringing to the show, Yeah. I thought, well, she's definitely making it through to the finale and then, you know, let a thousand blossoms bloom. Right. Just by virtue of how much screen time we've given to Shannon alone. Like the fact that we are invested in what happens to her and she's not there in the finale. Right. It it feels like they don't do that these days. I don't think that that happens. You're right. And I knew who Shannon was before I knew who just about anyone else was on this cast. So through that lens, yes, I was I was like, damn, I really thought that she was going to get through and they were going to try and overcome whatever it is. I thought that um I thought that probably Amanda was going to go mm. home. I think Trista will now be the mm, winner. Interesting. Yeah, I've I have no idea uh, at this point though because Jesus, like what have we what have we learned other than that he had a big fight with Shannon? Shannon wasn't comfortable doing things for the television. And he was like, yeah, he was see like, ya. 
Well, you know? we'll never get a chance to find out what this relationship could be like without the TV cameras because I'm booting you. So he and Shannon march out towards the camera without speaking. It's an incredible shot. Looks like a... This is great. What's this that? really good. Uh, the West Wing. It's like a walk and talk sort of thing. Uh, and then yeah. he whispers to her, we have to stop by this bench. So they stop by the bench. Shannon says, have fun. Alex tells her, thank you very much for being here. I think you're amazing. I'm sorry that we don't have more time. And she says, no, it's fine. And there's a pause. She offers him a handshake, which he accepts. And Shannon says, bye. She walks away and gets most of the way towards the limo before turning back. And she says, I'm just curious, why? Alex says, well, I think that you're amazing, but I feel like we are two different people at different parts of our life and we will struggle with each other too much. You were saying it'd be easier to go home and I don't want to make your life hard and I fear that I would. She says, okay, all right, have fun, bye. Alex stands there. She's, oh, she's so good. Incredible. This is this is like, uh, uh, who, who am I thinking of? Maybe Abby Chatfield's goodbye. Maybe uh, the coldness of Bella as well. Bella is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, I'm just being like, okay, I'm not playing this anymore. You know, game yeah. over. Um, I wish I could remember exactly what Bella said, but I, feel I, like I it was... have it written down here. Hang on, please. So Bella says... The fucked up thing is that I actually do have it written down, written down, but I know what you're going to say. Are you ready for it? I just found it in my notes from last year. Oh, here we go. I think I've got it too, so okay. maybe we can read it at the same, same time. All right. Three, yeah. two, one. I had feelings, I had feelings for, for Eleanor that I've... <laughs> I guess, yeah, Bella said, this is it? I don't get it. Yesterday you told me you were in love with me. And he goes like, I, I am in love with you. It's like, well, why not fucking follow through? And then she just goes, can I leave? I'm going. Pretty much the same vibe. Same thing. Same vibe here. Yeah. Uh, Alex stands there silently for a moment. In ITM, we hear him say, it was easy for me to say the wrong thing. I've gotten in trouble with her five or six times in three dates. I refuse to learn any lessons. Um, with Shannon, I thought, if only she will stop being mad at me all the time, it could be great. Oh, my God. But, and then he says, but it would have required her to change. People don't change that easily. Oh, jeez. It's just some, like, comically bad dude shit from, from our first ever Bachelor, right? It, like, and it, carry, it comes with such an air of, like, I'm the Bachelor, so obviously yeah. I'm right. Didn't she fucking hear what I said? About the, about I want to know about her titties. I'm asking everybody. In her backseat interview, Shannon stands her ground. She says, I think that Alex is weak. I scared him because I'm not going to sit back and say, okay, Alex, whatever you want. For the first time, I've really seen who Alex is and I don't like it. I think that there's someone out there that will like me just the way that I am. And I thought that it could be him. But when I looked at him tonight, when he walked me out, I didn't even want him to touch me. Because I don't want to be with someone who doesn't love me for who I am. And he didn't, so I'm glad I'm going. And I'm like fucking standing up this and so cheering. Good. This is so good. Yeah, this is incredible. I listened to an interview that Shannon did a year ago um, about her season, which obviously many, many years later, um, so there may be some 
you know, memory or whatever. But it was very interesting. Tell me she's happy. She's she's doing well, from what I can tell. She's like, I think she has two kids. Like, you know, she's like, oh, good on her. lived a whole life in the time between this and now. Um, but also, I was interested to hear that she, like, keeps in touch with the other people from her season and stuff, even all that time all later. Because, right. like, they mm. truly had an experience like no other. Uh, and mm. I think a year ago, the U.S. Bachelor, I think during, during early pandemic, the U.S. Bachelor re-aired, like, cut together... You know, ninety minute. That's right, like greatest of all time. Right, exactly. So when they aired this, the the episode about this season, all of them had a group chat together, and we're just like, oh my god, I can't believe. You know, um, it's a good interview. I um, I am hesitant to share that it was with Reality Steve, who is now like a troubled figure in the Bachelor uh, world. But um, anyway, it is a good it is a good chat. Uh, but according to Shannon. Um, Alex had actually told her the night before this that she would be getting a rose. Mm. So she was completely blindsided by this. And then add that to the fact that since reality TV was in its infancy, we've talked about this so much. And because of course, Shannon was a first timer. She wasn't aware of how she was allowed to react. Like how much she was meant to give away or what might happen if she revealed that he had, just pretty brazenly lied to her like mm. it there was not a an environment that made it feel like she could question the authority or the you know the false authority figure of the bachelor or whatever um and you know when that that explain that gives so much interesting insight and context into when she is asking him why she's not just asking why did you dump me but she's asking why did you tell me that you were keeping me if you weren't going to right 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 that's which I mean, we it adds will so many know. extra layers. Yeah. Right. But it is interesting that that stuff has been going on forever. Like, mm. there is there is gameplay speech and strategy and decision-making going on while the cameras are turned off or pointed the other way. And uh, the, the reality that we are presented with is not always the reality that we uh, believe, you know, that, that actually existed, whatever, you know? So that ends our recap of The Bachelor US Season 1, Episode 5. Next week on Ancient History, we will be covering the first ever Women Tell All special. Which Does that come before the finale? Yeah, it aired just before the grand finale. Yeah, right, okay. And, uh, you know, it, it has everyone except the winning, you know, the, the top two. Um, right. And so everybody so else... So is back. Yeah, exactly. Shumpus is back. Right. Kim... Was on this season. Yes. Yep. See how many more you could do. This will be interesting. I can't wait to hear <laughs> from the w- Rhonda. Yeah, Rhonda. We love Rhonda. But of course, that is a week from now. But you will not hear that before you have heard our recap of week one of Brooke Blurton's season of The Bachelorette. Before we finish our episode, there is something that we simply love to do on The Bachelor of Hearts Presents Ancient History. So in lieu of social media games, let's play some historic games. Max Quinn, you have been doing surprisingly well at these. Like, surprisingly well. I have my suspicions about how you have been able to do some of these. When you said, when you knew the movie Clock Stoppers, frankly, I was... I was looking to see if your fingers were moving across the keyboard. 
Because no, I but thought... I've never seen the movie Clock Stoppers. I just said stop the clock. I know, but I mean that's too good to be true. I look. I'm not here to put you on blast. You're not. You're not in trouble. It's okay. Um, I don't necessarily know what's going on, but uh, I decided mm, okay. that I just I decided this week that I wanted to really give you a bit more of a challenge. Um, yes, and o- also, I am f- fully running out of ideas for this. <laughs> Excellent. So, April twenty second, two thousand and two, was the date that this episode aired in North America. Mm-hmm. April twenty second is, of course, an extremely significant date for many reasons. On this day every year, Earth Day is celebrated celebrated to demonstrate support for environmental protection. Of course, in 1994, it marked the death of the 37th President of the United States, Richard Nixon. April 22, 1937 was also an important day in history because it heralded the birth of one of the most significant figures in modern Hollywood. That's right. That's the day when Jack Nicholson was born. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I don't know why I'm committing to that. Uh, Jack <laughs> has a long career as a Hollywood leading man with countless iconic roles to his name. So my question to you, Max Quinn, what are the five most financially successful movies worldwide featuring Jack Nicholson? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because I know you love movies. Obviously, I love movies. Mm. This is going to be extremely easy for me because I know a lot about Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, the one Jack Nicholson movie that I have seen, (laughs) I think, Uh is Anger Management with Adam Sandler. My friend, Max Quinn, you have correctly guessed the sixth most financially successful Adam... No, not Adam Sandler. Jack... (laughs) Jack Nicholson movie. I don't think he sounds like that. Okay. For the rest of this, I'm Mm -hmm. going to be relying on the knowledge that I have accrued working in a CD store from the year 2006 through Mm -hmm. to the year 2012. Mm. Okay, great. I feel like there is at least one or two of these that if you can guess a well-known quote from this movie... I will give you the answer. Okay. And I'm happy to tell you... Let's start here because I have a few in my periphery. Sure. Thinking that... I may not have seen these, but at the CD store, I sold copies of these. So I know that Jack Nicholson is in at least some movies. Yep. He definitely is. I think that's a good starting point. You have my word that... Okay. Jack, I'm in movies. (laughs) Now, okay. So he was a penguin or a Riddler at some point in a Batman. Hmm. You have correctly guessed the number one highest grossing Jack Nicholson movie called Batman, in which he plays the Joker. Not a penguin or a Riddler. No, but you did did say the word Batman, so I will give you that one. That movie, of course, made $411 million worldwide. That's many millions of dollars worldwide. It's more than I've got. I'll tell you that much. Okay. He was also in the bucket list. Mm, bucket list is number seven. The John Mayer song Say was for the bucket list. Mm, That's mainly how I remember that. I've been really, like, I definitely want to watch that movie before I die. (laughs) (laughs) Took me a second. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um... Was Jack Nicholson in Schindler's List? 
Mm, no. No. He was okay. not. He was not. What about... Oh, no. Do you know what he definitely was in? I do, is, but please um, tell me. <laughs> one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ah, another great, great pick. That one, I think, is number eight on the list. Bastard. Yeah. What's he in, then? Mm. Are we talking something that's, like, real famous outside um, of the Batman? Are we talking, like, everyone knows roughly what this is? I think so, but... Is he dead, by the way? No, he's still alive. Oh. Yeah. Uh, still kicking, Jack. Hey, you can't hold me down. <laughs> it's not how he talks. I can't do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are not the most famous movies. They're not like on the level that we talk about movies sort of these days, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's not in any Marvels. Like, you know, Batman's, I would argue, maybe his most famous movie, depending mm -hmm. on who you are. Well, actually, down the list is like The Shining, which I'm surprised didn't make that much money because that's a very famous movie. That's uh, true. I did had no idea that he was in that though. Yeah, he plays The Shining. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, well, I thought that was like a disease or something. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, damn it! The interesting thing about Jack Nicholson is the types of movies that he was in and that mm. he, he became very famous for being in are not really the types of movies that get made these days. Like, very big movies these days are about pretty specific things, and they're like based on a thing or they're, you know, it's like superhero yeah. or it's action or it's, you know, that kind of like very high budget, high scale, like high concept stuff. And he mainly does movies about people, you know? Yeah. He, he strikes me as the sort of man who does these like talky movies. You know yes. what I'm saying? Yes. Like these like, uh, it's an old man sitting on a, he was, he, was he in Big Fish? He was not in Big Fish, but that's the, that's the temperature. Yeah. So I, why don't I give you maybe just some genres yeah, for sure, for sure. So we've got one crime thriller. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, in fact, maybe I should give these to you in order just to make things really clear. Okay. Um, so the number two uh, grossing worldwide is a romantic comedy drama. Released in what year? Released in 1997. And I don't know if you've heard of it, so I, I might have to uh, guide you there a little. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got the uh, aforementioned crime thriller from 2006. We have got a 2003 American romantic comedy film. And we have got a 1992 American legal drama. If we want to start there, that okay. legal drama is the one where I feel like you could probably tell me a quote. Is this You Can't Handle the Truth? It is. It is. So that Do you movie know the name is of that movie? called... Um, it's like the good lawyer or something. It's not that. It, a few good men. That's it. You got it. Cool. Fantastic. Okay. So that is number five. So you've got one and five. You're just looking for the ones in between. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at 2006, 2003 and something else. And 1997. Oh God. Okay. Let's go 1997 then. Okay. Okay. If it's a talky film, is he starring opposite uh, another man or is he starring opposite a famous woman? There is a woman, because this is the romantic comedy drama, so it is oh. about about a romance. Okay, so there's some Jack Nicholson movie where he's on the cover. This is all, I, this is all I've got. It's mm -hmm. like a white or a blue DVD cover, and 
there's a woman on the cover as well and they're kind of standing like back to back. Is that is that sort of what I'm dealing with here? Or she's like maybe doing the arms crossed and he's sort of like looking at the camera? The version of the cover that I'm looking at <clears throat> just shows Jack. Oh. Maybe I should be tailoring these more slightly more towards what the DVD cover that you might have seen once looks like. Mm, mm. Let me just see if there's any alternate art that comes up. Oh, yeah. You know what? There is a poster that involves Jack. Jack Nicholson. And a dog. I just I just don't know if you've heard of this movie. So I'm like, I don't know what will actually help. Okay. The woman who is in this movie in the leading female role is Helen Hunt. Now, I'm sure that Helen Hunt is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Could I provide You're you not overly familiar? with any evidence to support that statement? <laughs> you know, she was married to Hank Azaria for a year. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> okay, no, I'm going to have to say no on 1997. I don't know okay. what that is. Would you like me to tell you? Yes. Okay. This film is directed by James L. Brooks, and it is called mm. As Good As It Gets. It's a pretty generic title as well, actually. Kind of a fun movie. I've got nothing there. Kind of a fun movie. Okay. Even though it has a pretty unlikable leading man who kind of just transforms into a better person by the end of it, you kind of buy it. Brooks, yeah, okay. he, he does it. Uh, let's move on from that one. There is another film with an incredibly generic title. Mm-hmm. And there is a film that I guarantee you have at least heard of. Is there? Okay, so the one with the okay, but so I'm thinking about um not Helen Hunt, mm-hmm. but one of the other beautiful women in her fifties. Um, in fact, I'm having visions of some movie where Jack Nicholson maybe goes to like Greece or something, mm. and um, I watched it on a laptop. And it's like a woman and they're kind of in a relationship and nothing really happens. There's some, there's some exposition, then there's some complication, then it gets resolved um, <laughs> as these things I want to do. Yep. Let me say that I, it's not Helen Mirren. It is not Helen Hunt. It is uh, not Charlize Theron. That's two. No, um, not Goldie Horn. Uh, right in the neighborhood, though. Yeah. Diane Keaton. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I think I've seen this movie. Yeah. I could not tell you what it's, it's a called. tough. It's it's a tough name to guess. It's a Nancy Myers movie. Can I get a who else is in it? Interestingly enough, it features Keanu Reeves, uh, Francis McDormand. Oh yeah, Amanda Peet. I definitely have seen this movie. Amanda Peet's in it. That's yeah. right. Um, John Favreau. No, I don't. I don't think I can tell you what it's called. The movie it's not is there. called "Something's Gotta Give." Oh, and something did have yeah. to give for me to would have had it. Yeah. No, yeah. there was nothing. Some, somebody had to give you the answer. Okay, so this last and then one, the next one, two thousand and six crime thriller, mm-hmm. big famous director. Okay, so big famous director, but you're talking about um, yeah, your Spielberg's. You're talking about your Martin Scorsese. I am talking um, quite specifically about Martin Scorsese. Okay, okay. Martin Scorsese movies. He is responsible for some of the following. Those eyebrows. (laughs) Yes. Is one. This is a film with an all-star cast. And Nicholson is in it, but he is not the lead. 
Okay, what about, so is it Goodfellas? No, it's it's newer than that. It's 2006. I wouldn't have really much of an idea of when good. Yeah, um, um, you would. Okay. I, I would imagine you would have seen did. like a billboard for this once or something. You know, like this is oh, within. We definitely would have like this is prime. I'm working right. in the city store. Yeah, yeah, I know what this is. There's one that on the cover. It's like a black cover, mm-hmm. and the word is sort of like carved out of the black. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're right because I remember being like, "Well, there's a lot of famous people in this mm-hmm, movie." Mm-hmm. Um, is it like, is there a Leo, Leo DiCaprio in it? <laughs> there is. He's the main boy. And, uh, well, actually it's mostly boys. I think maybe it might even be all boys. I don't really know. Uh, another clue. Is it a mob kind of movie? Yeah, pretty much. It is, uh, it is, but it's a, it's a film whose title you want to say in an accent. I'm walking here. <laughs> it's the movie. I'm walking here. No. Damn. Um, um okay, I'm just gonna say some of those those films. Sure. Um This film Saving won... Private Ryan. No. This film won four Oscars. Best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, best film editing. The no that's a George Clooney movie. What else? Wolf of Wall Street, that's too late. What else mm. is Leo in? Um because he never he didn't win the best actor for this. And then when he did win it for the other thing, it was a big deal. The Departed. Yes, you got it. That's what it is. Woohoo! Okay, right. three out of five. Very, very nice. Quentin. And listeners, stay tuned for next week's edition of In Lieu of Social Media Gains. Here are some historic game because we will be covering off, don't look it up, Zavi, the top five finishes on the 2002 PGA Tour. Oh, my God. God, you're going to do me? Yeah. Fuck yeah, that's great. I can't wait. So, I'm definitely going to know all of them. Brush up on your golf. That's okay. That's a big clue. <laughs> I was like, let me find out what sport that is on the DL. <laughs> I'm not going to find out who the names are, but I need to know what the fucking sport is. So thank you. You're so welcome. Okay. I'm, I'm excited about this. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Bachelor of Hearts podcast. A little short this week, it feels like. That's okay. We don't have half an hour's worth of views to discuss at the top of the pod. <laughs> These are 40 minute uh, episodes. I want to say, yeah, look, I want to say thank you very much for being here. I want to say a big shout out to the Zave Herds uh, and to Max Nation as well for keeping it real. Um, and I do want to say that if you want to, and I do want to say that we actually did come here to make friends. Unlike Rhonda. Oh no, Rhonda also maybe did. Wait, did Rhonda. Come. No, Rhonda did not come here to make That's friends. That's right. Rhonda didn't. I thought maybe she was saying that someone else didn't come there to make friends. She was she was saying that somebody else didn't come there for the right reasons. And she didn't come there to make friends. She came there. Rhonda came there for the right reasons, which are to not make friends. Anyway, uh, come to the Bachelor of Hearts Osh Posting group on Facebook. That is where we spend our time. Um, <laughs> I have uh, stopped paying rent at my house because I just live there now. Uh, so <laughs> come and <laughs> knock on my door. We're allowed to have visitors now, right? Up to I very hard to say. Up to five people are allowed in a Facebook group at any one time, I believe. <laughs> uh, so come on down. Uh, or if Facebook's not your thing, I get it. Um, so instead, why not visit us on a, another 
property that's owned by Facebook, Instagram, uh, or maybe Twitter, BOH Pod is where you can find us anywhere. Just punch it into the computer. <laughs> and uh, you can, of course, find my co-host, multi-hyphenate, Max Quinn, at Max Quinn. And you can find me at ZAPRN. What else do we have to say? Listeners. We love you. Just one hope.